Well, my friends, today is the day. Today, it is happening. Today, it's here. Your special opportunity to join the Live Inspired in-studio membership community where we come together once a month on an exclusive webcast. We choose intentionally to take pause, to focus on what is most important to you, to overcome the challenges that you face, and to ensure that you have the tools in place to live into your best life, both personally and professionally. Registration for in-studio happens only a few times a year, and it's open to the public. That means you for a very limited time right now. So don't miss this opportunity to register as it closes within the next 48 hours. 48 hours, the time is ticking already. 48 hours, now it's 47 hours, 59 minutes, 54 seconds. Don't miss this opportunity. Let's do life together. Go right now, learn more about InStudio and register today before it closes. You can learn more at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash join. Again, it is johnolearyinspires.com forward slash join. I can't wait, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. We in our office get an awful lot of opportunities to read and to research an awful lot of presenters and thought leaders and researchers. I've seen my office moved many times. I've seen them inspired and encouraged and uh, looking forward to the many of the guests that we've had on. And yet in the years of us doing our Live Inspired podcast, I've never had every single individual as excited as they are about today's guest, about today's topic, about what it meant for them and what it means for each of us on this call today. So uh, you ladies, you gentlemen, you friends, you followers are going to be inspired. You are going to be fired up with today's guest. Let me give you a little bit of Mike's background. Mike Viking is one of today's most influential researchers on happiness. He founded the world's first happiness research institute in 2013 in Copenhagen, Denmark. He consults cities and governments and organizations around the world on happiness. He's the author of several books, including the international bestsellers, The Little Book of Huga. I've got it right here. It was awesome. The Little Book of Luga. I've read that too. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the upcoming, The Art of Making Memories. These books have sold more than a million copies worldwide and have been translated into more than 35 languages. Mike Viking is an internationally respected speaker on happiness. He's known for his ability to convey complex ideas and theories to a wide audience and has spoken in more than 40 countries around the world. Mike Viking, as our listeners get ready to buckle up, open up their minds and their hearts, I want to thank you for making time for us today. So my friends, please welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast, my friend, Mike Viking. <laughs> Thanks, John. What uh, what an amazing uh, and, and friendly introduction. Uh, but, you know, remember that the key to happiness is also having low expectations. So... <laughs> 
So. <laughs> well, it's one key to happiness among many others that we will be unpacking together. Although today, I would encourage our listeners to elevate expectations. I think uh, too frequently we think too little of ourselves and too little of life. And you remind us of the grandeur of a warm cup of tea, of a lit candle burning in the the quiet corner of our bedroom. The little things in life aren't. But Mike, before you were doing this incredible life-changing work around the world, I would imagine growing up in Denmark as a little boy, you weren't thinking later on in life that this is the work that you were called to. So I want you to take the train way back to the station. Talk about growing up as a, as a little one. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So I think I had a very fortunate background. I mean, being born in Denmark and, and for those of your listeners that are not familiar with Denmark, it is essentially uh, everything that Bernie Sanders dreams of. <laughs> So there is um, free healthcare and there is uh, free university education. You even get paid to go to school. Um, and, and, and obviously growing up, I wasn't aware of, of how big a privilege that is. Uh, that was something that, that came later on. Um, but I've always been interested in people. I've always been interested in what, you know, why we do what we do. Um, and I think I've always been, been interested in quality of life. Um, understanding how we can create good conditions for good lives, how can we create better decisions that enables us to to flourish. Um, And then um, six, seven years ago, I was reading the World Happiness Report, uh, which was commissioned by the UN. And again, Denmark was doing quite well in these uh, rankings. I think back in 2012, we were in first place. I just thought, why is it that Denmark is always doing well in these happiness rankings? There should be somebody in Denmark trying to pool that knowledge and understand what drives happiness and and so on. And then I thought, maybe I should do that. (laughs) Uh, And that became sort of the first uh, step into a a now six-year journey um, that have been incredibly fun and interesting and and rewarding. Um, So so that was the speedy train. You know, I've read, of course, much of your work, and I've listened, I think, to just about every interview you've ever done. So I really do feel like I'm across the table from a friend right now. Who were some of the men, the women, the leaders that you looked up to growing up, though? Like, who were some of your great influencers? Oh, I think I've always been inspired by explorers and pioneers and scientists that were interested in exploring the world, whether that was, you know, the, 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 the dark areas on the map or scientific uh, inventions, uh, trying to sort of push technology and humankind further. Today, I also feel it's, it's incredibly interesting to see what's going on with space exploration. And I'm just amazed of sort of the human race ability to keep um, exploring the world and trying to push limits for, for understanding. Um, and, and, and to me, that is interesting and fun and rewarding to be part of. So we, we're not going into outer space, but we are perhaps going into the, the inner, uh, inner space and trying to understand what drives human happiness. Uh, and, and, and that's the space mission that, that we're on. Well, I think the idea, whether you are looking through a telescope or a microscope, that there is an awful lot to explore in both spots. You've been referred to before, I've read this in several different articles, as the Indiana Jones of happiness. 
So let's talk about happiness right now because it sounds so vague. And it, it, it sounds kind of like puppy dogs and rainbows and a very difficult thing to get your hands grasped around. So how, how do you measure happiness? Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the core questions we work with. I, I usually say that, that we're trying to solve three questions at the Happiness Research Institute. And one of them is the one you just mentioned. How the heck can we measure something as vague and subjective as well-being, happiness, or the good life? And secondly, we try to understand why are some people happier than others. And thirdly, we try to understand how we can improve quality of life. And, and I, I get that question a lot. Um, you know, it, it sounds vague. It sounds very fluffy. It sounds very much like we have a room full of puppies. Uh, <laughs> Institute. But, but essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to have a scientific approach to happiness and trying to understand, you know, what are the evidence? What are the patterns? What are the common denominators? When we look at data, when we look at studies in, in, in what drives uh, well-being and quality of life. Mm. And I, I get it. Uh, I mean, I've also previously been skeptic about you know, the ability to measure something as unmeasurable as happiness. Um, but I think that people at the same time also forget that we are trying to study a lot of other things that are also subjective and to some extent unmeasurable, like stress, like depression, like anxiety. And I don't see any good argument for it should be more difficult to study positive emotions compared to negative emotions. Um, but we fully acknowledge that that happiness is an umbrella term. So you have one perception of what happiness or the good life is, and, and I have another one. So what we always do is we break happiness down into different components. So we look both at sort of an overall life satisfaction, taking a step back, evaluating your life, um, uh, we, which is a very sort of stable uh, dimension, but we can also look at how happy do people feel right now, or uh, we can look at a spectrum of emotions. Did your listeners feel you know, angry, happy, sad, lonely, um, worried, stressed? Um, and, and those are two different um, dimensions of happiness. But mm -hmm. of course, if you're every day with a lot of positive emotions, probably also have a higher level of, of life satisfaction. And then ideally what we do is, is we like to follow uh, large groups of people over time and use longitudinal studies to understand when people's circumstances change. Um, if people get you know, promoted or fired or married or divorced, how does that impact uh, different dimensions of, of happiness? There's so much to unpack there as you are studying all of this. What are you, Mike, learning about happiness? I think first and foremost that we can actually capture happiness. We, we do have some valuable, valid metrics that are capturing what people uh, see happiness as. So the metrics that we are using, you know, we find what we would expect. You know, if people become sick, they are less happy. If your children become sick, you are less happy. Mm. Um, if you become unemployed, you are less happy. Um, if you have good quality, tight, you know, uh, relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your community, you are happier. So, so what we would expect, we would find, we find. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of, of, of still dark or blank spots on the map. There's a lot we, we don't know yet. 
but to me, I mean, some of the, the interesting uh, findings have also been that we can see there is a genetic component when it comes to, to happiness or well-being. So we can see that people are simply born more or less happy. So in the U.S., you have a really cool uh, twin register at the University of, of Minnesota. And also, from, as I understand it, from a period in the U.S. where it was allowed for two different sets of parents to adopt one twin each. Wow. So in that circumstance, you have, um, you know, identical genetic material that yes. are brought up under different circumstances. Um, and from those studies, we can see non-identical twins do not have uh, similar happiness levels. There's no correlation between their life satisfaction. But for the identical twins, there is a correlation, uh, sort of a, a medium strong one. Um, so even though one might be married and uh, employed and the other one might be divorced and, and unemployed, there's still a, a correlation between the happiness levels. So I first find that found that quite surprising. Uh, but then in the second round, I realized, well, if we look at, at mental illnesses like uh, like uh, depression or schizophrenia, we can also see there is a genetic component. So obviously there should be one uh, for, for positive emotions as well. Yeah. So as you look at Denmark, one of the happiest countries in the world, <laughs> this is a difficult question, but here it comes. How much of that do you think is based on the genetic disposition of the, the former Vikings, Mike Viking, versus, no, man, it's our behaviors. It's our lifestyle. It's our decisions. It's the way we light candles and uh, and take time to enjoy and breathe in life. So I think the genetic component is, is a minor one. Huh. Um, we, we can see it as a, well, other studies have shown that it is a component because when you look at, for example, Americans with Scandinavian ancestors, they do report high levels of life satisfaction when you control for the socioeconomic factors. But um, to me, the main explanation for why Denmark, along with the other Nordic countries, do well in the happiness rankings is the Nordic model. I think it's also important to underline that, that these rankings are based on averages. Um, so we call them the happiest countries in the world, but you could also turn it the other way around and say perhaps they're the least unhappy countries. Um, and, 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 and what we, for instance, see is that Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Iceland are relatively good at reducing causes for unhappiness hmm. through unemployment benefits, through access to healthcare, through access to university education and so on. Yeah, so, so I think it's, it's the Nordic model that, that enables people to, to uh, experience high levels of, of life satisfaction. But of course, there's also challenges in, in the Nordic countries. When you have a high national average, you of course have people that are above, but you also have people that are below that average. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, uh, not, not everything is perfect here, but I think there is some things that work well uh, that other countries can take inspiration from. Mike, when you created the Happiness Institute, did you ever fathom that there would be individuals and organizations and government representatives from South Korea and Mexico and the United States and royal families visiting you to learn what this is and what it might mean to them? Um, no, I, I, to be honest, where we are today uh, with the Institute is beyond what I had hoped and dreamed for when we started. But it's, you know, what, what drove me in the beginning was just the, the curiosity. It was just, I wanted to work with this field. I thought it was incredibly interesting. 
Um, and if I was able to, to make a career out of that at the same time, that would be an additional bonus. Uh, but it was the, the curiosity and, and sort of becoming an explorer in this field mm. uh, that was the driving force, and it still is today. But of course, it's, it's wonderful to be able to try and, and impact um, sort of the, the course of a, a country in terms of hopefully uh, creating policies and creating infrastructure and creating uh, a framework that will allow people to to flourish uh, more than they are currently doing. Part of that is putting into practice what you teach. And uh, in the little book of Huga, and am I saying that appropriately? Yes? Well done. Good. My Danish is uh, is almost as strong as my English. I'm glad I crushed the first word, the little book of Huga. It is a New York Times bestseller. It's an incredible read, Mike. First, can you tell our listeners what Huga means and then explain how Huga can be a noun, a verb, and an adjective? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so there are many definitions of, of Huga. Um, I think the to me, one of the best shorter definitions is the art of creating a nice atmosphere. Uh, but it's you know these situations where we feel relaxed, where we feel at peace, where we feel a sense of togetherness, um, where we might uh, enjoy some simple pleasures. Uh, but it's all about the atmosphere. Um, and of course, I mean, that, that also happens uh, in the U.S. and Canada and everywhere else around the world. But what might be uniquely Danish is we have a word that describes that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and also Danes see it as part of our sort of national culture and part of the national DNA. Um, maybe the same way that, that Americans see freedom as something inherently uh, American. Um, but it's, it is a... Uh, a noun, but as you mentioned, it's it's also um, a, a, a verb and an ad, uh, and an adjective. So as a verb, I could also use it and say, "Hey, John, you want to come over and and hugge uh, on on Friday?" Uh, and then um, then during the week, we'll talk about how hugely that's the adjective. <laughs> uh, that Friday is going to be. Then on Friday, we'll talk about how hugely this is. And then on Monday we'll talk about how Hugely Friday was. So it's 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 <laughs> it's being talked a lot about uh, among Danes, and it's sort of the, in some extent, some extent, you know, the sort of key success parameter um, when you, you do social uh, gatherings. You know, your spouse will ask you, "Do you think the guests had a Hugely time tonight?" Really, um, it's that big of a deal. Honestly, it is. It, it, so give us an example of what might allow your your spouse to say, gosh, that was very Huga. Well done. They left it on fire with Huga. What, what happened during that cocktail party to make sure that we, uh, we lived into that? It's a very good question. I think people, we sense that they were relaxed, um, that they were themselves, hmm. that um, they were having a nice time, but, and, and, and sort of relaxing at the same time. So, so it's also been called intro, uh, sort of um, socializing for introverts. So where there is a strong sense of harmony in the group, where there is a strong sense of togetherness, but without sort of somebody taking the main spotlight and without sort of dominating the conversation or sort of competing in different areas. Um, so, so yeah, I know it's, 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 
almost as vague as a, a definition of happiness. But yeah. I think that's that's one of the closest things I can uh, I can come to. Well, you wrote a book about how we can practice this. Give us some practical tips that we, you know, many of our listeners are from North America, Australia, countries like this. How, how can we practice huga in our daily lives? One simple thing is um, Danes, because of huga and because of the importance of atmosphere for huga, um, Danes burn a lot of candles. Um, so we actually we actually use twice as many candles as number two in Europe, which is Austria, because because lighting is important to create a nice atmosphere, and candles give off a um, a softer, warmer light uh, that is considered more hugely. You would get the same light from a fireplace, for instance. Now I'm not in a very sort of hugely light now because I have a sort. Uh, bulb uh, in 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 the room, but but uh, lighting a candle would be one of the the sort of easy uh, steps. And and interestingly, um, after I I wrote about uh, Hugo, I, I had a conversation with a, a Canadian journalist called uh, Yannick, who um, who had also like you read about uh, Hugo and, and the love of candles among Danes, and he. After that, went out and he bought uh, some chandeliers and started to light dinner, candlelight dinners uh, at home. And he got teased by his uh, sons. He and his wife had three um, sons. And the boys were like, Dad, what's going on with the candles? We leave. <laughs> um, but then he says, over time, the boys, they started to light the candles for dinner. Mm -hmm. And he also says that now um, their dinner time lasts 15 to 20 minutes longer because wow. the atmosphere around the, the table is different. And now instead of just sitting down and quickly eating their food, the, the boys are sort of talking about how their day was and, and, and puts them in a different mood. So I think it's, and, and I'm fascinated by those stories where, we, where you do, where you create a simple change in the setting and then it has an effect on, on people's behavior. Um, of course, you know we, we're not gonna we're not gonna see an increase of ten percent in Americans' happiness by lighting candles around uh, the, the dinner table. But I think it's just a very sort of easy step uh, that could perhaps have an impact on how families interact. Well, it's it's one of many you share in the book of Hugo, which I really can't recommend highly enough. And I, I've never noticed that we did this as a family, but before Christmas, it's common practice to have a little wreath in the middle of your table. There's four candles on it. And then week by week by week, leading all the way up to Christmas day, you light one candle. And by the end of it, you have four lit. And it changes the conversation around the dinner table with four crazy little kids that I have. It settles the conversation down. It does go a little bit longer. And I've never even known why. And Mike Viking, you yeah. just explained exactly why, man. It's, it's really cool. You gave a TED talk that blew me away because you shared something called the happiness suicide paradox. Tell our listeners what the happiness suicide paradox is. Right. So the happiness suicide paradox is uh, a paradox that is that it might be more difficult to be unhappy in an otherwise happy country. Um, so if we take the individual U.S. states, we can see that states with a higher level of life satisfaction also have a slightly higher suicide rate. So um, 
Hawaii is one of the states that report the highest level of life satisfaction, but also have one of the highest state, uh, levels of, of suicide. Um, I look at it uh, also within Denmark. Um, a lot of people think that Denmark has uh, one of the hi uh, highest suicide rates uh, in the world. Um, fortunately, that's not the case. Um, it used to be true. So in 1980, uh, Denmark had a suicide rate of 40 per 100,000. Um, now we have a suicide rate of 9 per 100,000. Wow. So it's been cut to to uh, around 25% of what it was. So, so Denmark is now in place 106 in, in the global su uh, suicide uh, rates, uh, level, levels. So it's Sri Lanka that currently has the highest suicide rate uh, in the world, around 36. But still, I would love the Danish uh, level to be zero. And, 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 and that it is not. And, and of course, that prompted me to look a bit, little bit into uh, that. And, and one of the reasons might be that, you know, that it is more difficult to be unhappy in a happier country because your own unhappiness becomes, there's a strong contrast uh, when you look at your life and you look at your uh, life satisfaction uh, up against uh, a backdrop of, of happy people. I find that so ironic. So when you are surrounded by people who are in quotes successful, and happy in their relationships and uh, content in their life, that it actually has a greater likelihood of making you feel less happy, less successful, less content in your own. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, there, there's a risk of that. And, and, and what we can see uh, in, across a lot of different studies is that, that what you described there seems to exist, that there is sort of an element of social comparison. So when you take blue, beauty or wealth or success or happiness that our satisfaction with these different domains are also impacted in how we see our peers, our neighbors, our friends, our family doing. So for instance, when it comes to income, uh, we see in, in some studies that people care not only about absolute income, so how much are they able to consume, but they also care about relative income. So how much money am I making compared to my wife's brother, for instance, or my neighbor? Right. And of course, that becomes a challenge because um, if we care more about the position in the social hierarchy, then say if the U.S. economy doubled and everybody got twice as much income, uh, maybe you know, we would still be stuck in the same place in the social hierarchy which is one of the reasons why we see countries becoming richer without people necessarily becoming happier. Well, I think it's exemplified everywhere. If you look back to our parents and our grandparents, for the most part, the vast majority of us are doing much, much, much better financially, regardless of the reports. I mean, the reality is we have five TVs in our homes and three cars in our garage. That's not everywhere. But Americans in particular and the rest of the world are in a much different place financially today than we were decades ago. And yet happiness is not tracking alongside of it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think one of the reasons is this, that, that, um, that, that social comparisons matter, that relative income matters. Um, another reason is that uh, we are unfortunately very good at increasing the expectations, or we are good at raising the bar for what we feel we need in order to be happy. If all your friends have those five TVs and those three cars, 
um, then that is going to be your your benchmark. And also, if if you have the five uh, TVs and the three cars, maybe you feel that's the new normal, and you would not be otherwise happy with that one car. You might be very happy with when you first. Right. I don't. Know, do you get a driver's license when you're 16 or 16, 18 in the US? 16 is right. Very happy to have a car at that time, right? And it could be any car. Correct. Uh, but now your your sort of your 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 bar for what is normal or what you feel is is enough uh, raises. Um, so 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 that is a that is that is a, a pitfall. And early on, I was talking about this, you know, fantastic thing of the human race that we continuously sort of push the bar, uh, but but this is sort of the, the backside of that, that metal, right. if you can say that American expression, yeah. uh, that, that, that we constantly raise the bar for what we feel we need. And then unfortunately, there seems to be no one accomplishment that we will achieve or no goal that we will achieve that will make us eternally happy. Mm. Um, but maybe that makes us embrace uh, the old cliche of enjoying the journey more than the des- destination. Uh, so it might be actually a good thing in the end. Talk about social media and how that plays into what you are speaking about. So we're, we were talking about our neighbors or our community. What social media does, though, is that it amplifies both. And it's not just our direct neighbors. Now the neighbors are those all around us, all around the world with whom we are comparing our lives. So how does social media either positively or negatively or somewhere in between affect our level of happiness? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you, you ask that because uh, we're actually trying to ask that same question uh, these days. So we've just started a new uh, study where we look at both the risks but also the opportunities of, of digital well-being. Um, but we've done a, a previous experiment that shows the risk, and it, it comes out of that exact question that, that you also raised. Um, and our thought was, and this was back in 2015, I think we did the experiment. As you say, social media, constant bombardment of honeymoons and marathons and people living amazing lives <laughs> and, and shows the amazing pictures of when it happens. And it can be a really tough contrast to be in a, to be comparing your life up against. So we wanted to explore, you know, if a sort of digital detox would impact uh, happiness and well-being. Uh, so we had uh, almost 1,100 people sign up for an experiment, and we started out with then running different uh, happiness surveys uh, among them, looking at their happiness levels on, on different dimensions, mm-hmm. and then we them into two groups. So one group would continue to do as they usually do and be on social media as much as they want. And then a second group, we asked them to take a week's break from uh, Facebook. Uh, and then after the week, we ran uh, the happiness studies uh, or surveys uh, among them again. And to be honest, when we started the experiment, I didn't think we would see uh, any effect because of, of, of several reasons. First of all, I thought, well, there's so many factors that impact our life satisfaction. We talk about genetics, we talk mm-hmm. about social comparison, about you know, the policies in the different country. So just pulling one lever, uh, I didn't think we would see uh, the needle move on that one. And secondly, if our theory is correct that social media distorts our sense of reality, well, that is a distortion that had been accumulated over years, like Many people have been on, on Facebook since 2008, and just one week, I, I didn't right. think, you know, with a 
Facebook would, would reset how my view of, of the world looks. But we did, we did see a, a significant effect across uh, several metrics. Now, of course, I think most of the people that were in that experiment at that time, I believe they're still using social media today, even though they experienced this. And I think that's due to the fact that a lot of us are sort of constantly battling instant gratification versus long-term goals. Do get a dopamine rush when we see the little red square. Um, and we are curious, we are interested, so that sort of keeps us on. But it's interesting to see how different communities are trying to uh, create a different set of behavior around social media. Uh, and, and, and we definitely need to explore this more. And that's also why we've begun this, this new study that should be out in uh, the fall. While we await that study and your response and your share with us, you also wrote a little book called The Little Book of Luga, or I believe it's also called The Key to Happiness. So it goes under both titles currently. I gave this to one of my colleagues at my office and I said, do me a favor. I'm going to get to this next week, but check it out. Let me know what a few of your favorite parts were. Uh, the following day, normally that takes about a week for me to get back. I get this this documented book, man, with a hundred different little pieces of paper sticking out of it and notes and highlights and arrows and all this stuff. Amy, our producer, was blown away by this book. And after I read it, so was I. It, it's simple, it's easy, and we miss it. So uh, tell us, our listeners and myself again, what is the little book of Luga really about? What is the key to happiness as you wrote about it? My first book, the little book of Hugo uh, you mentioned before, that was about this Danish phenomenon that we talked about, the atmosphere, uh, the relaxation, the savoring simple pleasures. The second book, the one you mentioned now, the little book of Lugu, I wanted to underline that Danes do not have a monopoly on happiness and we can find uh, ideas for you know, how to improve quality of life around the world. So it's more a global treasure hunt so my friends, Indiana Jones, or I mean, uh, Mike Viking, did take us on the global treasure hunt of happiness. He certainly did share practical, simple tips and real life proven examples that you and I can easily apply in our life. In the six key areas of happiness that he covers in his books, they include togetherness, money, health, freedom, trust, and kindness. To hear a little bit more about how Shani took her ordinary Australian street and then transformed it into a community less of neighbors and more of friends. Or why parents in Portugal and in Spain are happier than other parents around the world. Or how Sophie's volunteer experiences propelled her to overcome unemployment and depression. Or, and this one perhaps most importantly, how you can apply their experiences to your personal growth, then I invite you to join my Live Inspired membership community. It's called InStudio. I'll share more about the Live Inspired InStudio membership community at the end of this show. Get ready for it. Stay tuned. You are going to want to learn more. Mike, you've been on a wild journey your whole life, but in particular over the last six or so years. What's next for you? I, I think continuing along the same path, uh, I mean, the, the, the core questions uh, I mentioned at the beginning that, that we're trying to answer are still what interests me. And I'm going to spend the next at least 40 years, hopefully, uh, trying to solve them. So, <laughs> so um, 
I think just continuing where I'm, I'm headed because I'm, I'm having a lot of fun in, in this direction. Well, brother, there are seven questions that tether all of our guests together. So I'm, I'm going to dance you through these questions quickly. What is the best book you've ever read? Oh, um, perhaps one of the ones I read recently, uh, Fatfulness by Hans Rosling, a Swedish statistician. <laughs> I know it sounds horrible, but it's actually very positive and, uh, and enlightening about the world. Say the name one more time. So uh, Fatfulness by Hans Rosling. Very good. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Um, optimism. Great. If your apartment or home, your condo caught fire and all living people, all living things are out and you have an opportunity to run in and save one item, what one item would you grab? I know that a lot of people say the same because I've been researching this recently and I'm going to go with them as well. My photo albums. Good. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to have seated right next to you? Oh, definitely my mom. Oh. So unfortunately she died quite young when she was 49. And um, I, I just have a lot of nice things to say to her. It's beautiful. What's the best advice that your mother or anyone else ever shared with you? Oh, um, there's many, but I think what comes to mind also because of this conversation is an advice that John Halliwell gave me. John is one of the editors of the World Happiness Reports. And he told me that um, when it comes to the work we do in trying to spread knowledge about happiness, um, the, the, the advice is let the data shape the science, but let the story spread the science. And I think that works quite well. Could not agree more. Mike, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Um, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> It is indeed all going to be fine, Mike. And the final question of the Live Inspired 7, it, it has been said, Mike Viking, that all great people, and I have one on the podcast with us right now, all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? <laughs> My life summed up in one sentence? Ah, oh, God. Um, maybe it's... Well, hopefully just happy. <laughs> <laughs> How appropriate. The explorer of happiness has had his life summed up in one sentence. So uh, the Indiana Jones of happiness, the researcher, the philanthropist, the friend, the great man, Mike Viking, it has been an honor spending some time with you today. Likewise, John. Thank you so much for all those great questions. Mike Viking, thank you for the time. My friends, thank you for your investment and for this time. And until next time, this is John O'Leary. Live happy and live inspired. Well, my friends, I loved the conversation with Mike Viking, learning everything that the Happiness Research Institute is doing to change our world and how we can choose to live happier, more inspired lives. You heard Mike Viking hint about the little book of Luge and his global treasure hunt for happiness, but we just didn't have enough time to unpack all of it with our time together on this podcast. 
but there's good news. Join me live on May 20th in studio to hear more about his work and how you can easily apply his lessons into your daily life to elevate your well-being and your happiness. Registration for in-studio opens to the public only a couple times each year. It's open right now for a very limited time only and for about the next 48 hours. Do not miss this opportunity to join the exclusive community and hear more about what Mike says as this content is not available anywhere else. You're going to want to go here. So visit us right now, learn about InStudio, learn about how it's going to elevate your experience, your leadership, your life, and how you can register for it right now before it closes by visiting me at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash join. Again, it is johnolearyinspires.com forward slash join. I cannot wait for you to join me there in this exclusive community. It's going to be awesome. It's going to set our world on fire with possibility. I'll see you there.